Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Dual Access Podcast. My name is Andy Kreeble, and on each episode, I talk to somebody that's influential in data or entrepreneurship. And today, I have Tris Burns with me. Tris is a seasoned data analyst that's moved recently into coaching, and we're going to talk all about that today. So thanks for joining me, Tris. Thanks for having me, Andy. It's great to be great. here. Why don't we start with you giving us a bit of background about your how you started in data and kind of your quick quickly through to your journey of where you are now. Absolutely. So I have finance background by by education. Um, I graduated at a really great time known as the um, global financial crisis and <laughs> going into finance at that particular time was was not very easy or uh, advisable. So I got my start in my career in oil and gas in Australia, by the way, I should mention I'm from there originally, but in the UK now. And uh, the first project I kind of got put on uh, in oil and gas was a basically building a CRM as a business analyst, um, okay. which was fun. I uh, had no idea what I was doing, but um, delivered the project on time and everything else and uh, realized that uh, at the end of the project, we had no one to look at the data. It was, I think it was around 2011, thereabouts. And, um, uh, you know, data analytics wasn't that much of a thing back then. So having delivered the project as a BA, I was probably the closest to the data. So I said, let me have a try. So I had a go. And that was kind of where I first started dabbling in data analytics, pivot charts, Excel, you know, uh, working with Microsoft Dynamics as a CRM tool, um, reporting, dealing with stakeholders and all of that kind of thing. That's where I got my start. Uh, I worked there for a few more years and then eventually I got made redundant from that job, which you'll see is a common theme with me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I finally got my 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 uh, my wish finally came true in uh, 2015. I moved to London and started working in investment banking, um, Bank okay. of America, Merrill Lynch. And I wouldn't call it a typical or like standard data analyst role, but the role was all data. It was uh, working with IBM Cognos, particularly building oh, lots wow. of reports on the trading floor for sales and, and trading data for um, for those desks and those businesses. It was very full on. Um, I loved the actual work that I did, but I didn't enjoy so much the environment. I don't know if mm -hmm. anyone listening has ever worked in on a trading floor, but it's pretty hectic. Most days were, you know, finishing up around 11 o'clock, getting a taxi home and all of that kind of thing. Um, but the work itself, I really enjoyed. The one downside to the work, though, there was that I was a small cog in what was obviously a very, very big machine. And it was very, um, I guess you didn't get to see the outcome of your efforts, the fruits of your labor as a data analyst in that kind of environment, because you'd make reports or you'd make recommendations and they'd go up to this person who would take it up to their person. Who would, and it would just, you'd never really see what decisions were made off the back of that. And that's something I found very frustrating and kind of um, it, it unsatisfying in terms mm -hmm. of being a data analyst in that kind of space. So I left banking and went into um, uh, a tech startup in London called Digital Surgery, which was a very small outfit at the time, about around 100 people. Week one, straight away, I was in the room with the founders and the COO and everyone else presenting my data. Uh, giving strategic insight, all that kind of thing. So I was really happy with that. Lo and behold, got made redundant not long <laughs> after that. And um, I got tapped but on the shoulder. But you didn't get made redundant from Bank of America, right? No, no, I left that one on my own okay. uh, volition. Yeah. Right, okay. Uh, no, I um, 
I got tapped on the shoulder to come and head up the data and analytics function at Pizza Hut Digital Ventures, which okay. obviously a well-known brand, uh, building their e-commerce capability to scale around the world, outside, of course, the US. Great. And so you left that recently, what, back end of last year, roughly, right? And, 2022 uh, now, actually. Yeah. 2022, end of 2022. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And wh why did you leave? Um, well, to be honest, I've been there for four years and, and, and it was the best job I ever had. I won't ever um, have anything bad to say about it, but it, but it felt like a place where I'd done what I could do. Uh, it was it was growing. We'd scaled um, to loads of different countries. I'd built a team up from just myself to, uh, I don't know how many, but in, in different countries, we had team in the UK, the US, India and Vietnam uh, and other places as well. Um, we'd we'd uh, created the data infrastructure that was necessary to scale. We'd built out a really great CRO program, which I'm really proud of. Uh, enablement and tracking was a huge part of what we did. And of course, the BI side of things, which is more my kind of uh, my area, um, was all kind of working pretty well. And um, if you didn't want to move to Dallas, Texas and be in the head office for Pizza Hut, there wasn't really anywhere to go. So I kind of figured that I'd done what I could do and I wanted to cut my teeth out there on my own. Great. Yeah. So I, I, I want to go back to a couple of things. And you mentioned how dispersed the team was that you worked with at Pizza Hut. How did you manage the communication and, um, you know, turning requirements over halfway across the world and making sure the work that you got back was high enough quality and you didn't spend too much time doing the communication bit? So how did how did you make that work? A big part of the culture there was asynchronous work because we were the sun never set on Pizza Hut, right? It's a it's a company that's no matter what day of the week, mm -hmm. it's somewhere around the world, it's open. Um, so you have to trust your teammates to do the work that they need to do while you're asleep, and then you need to check in on that while they're while they're awake and they're sleeping. So I guess uh, things are slower because you're always. It's never always live. There is crossover for a few hours of work between some of those uh, jurisdictions, but you do have to, um, as a leader, be really trusting and uh, give those people a lot of autonomy and, and let them know that you have faith in them to do a good job. Those mm -hmm. were the people that I kind of looked after and managed. Different story, perhaps, when it's different stakeholders that you're not you know, responsible for and, and some of the, um, the challenges there. There's definitely it's difficult to connect with with business stakeholders um, who were very busy, got their plates full, and they also happen to be on the other side of the world. So there's like a two hour window that the two of you can get in touch. Uh, it's definitely challenging. Mm, yeah. And then you also mentioned how you know, you're, you're a frequent uh, um, uh, victim of the, the cuts at, at companies. How do you think those, you know, th those aren't necessarily a bad thing. So of course you take it, you know, um, quite personally, probably, and you know, you feel like you feel like you really were doing your best for the company, but ultimately, the companies, you know, they don't really they don't really care. You're just you're just a name. Um, so, uh, what what um, how did how did that sort of shape your career direction? Then, you know, you, you could take it one way or the other, right? You could take it yeah. as a slight against you and your capabilities, or you can see it as an opportunity to to grow. How did that uh, did how did that go? Yeah. So both times for me, I have to say they were kind of infliction points. They were they they were good. I was happy. Eventually, good things came from them. The very first time I got made redundant was from, like I said, the oil and gas um, company. Yeah. 
that was tens of thousands of people, billions of dollars project. I definitely didn't take that personally. The <laughs> impetus for those layoffs was the actually the global oil price in 2014, 2015 came down quite low and the project was no longer feasible. Plus it was close to being wrapped up. So I was, I was pretty happy with that. And I got a nice little package um, to take away. The second time around, it, it came out of nowhere. It was a complete surprise. It was a startup environment. So I guess startups are always kind of living paycheck to paycheck in a sense. So uh, thinking about it in that sense, it wasn't necessarily a surprise, but I didn't see it coming. But the really cool thing about that was that the people that I'd worked with there um, straight away tr like started trumpeting me in the, in in their um, in their networks and particularly right. someone who worked in HR there had an HR Slack group and they put me in touch with a recruiter um, who was knew someone or was that person at Pizza Hut and next thing I knew I was interviewing there so it really didn't take me very long and um, I I was very lucky in that I had you know that strong uh, network. Yeah, I, I've always kind of thought that, uh, so, so for example, Salesforce is going through some more layoffs, um, you know, announced again, they have this whole idea of Ohana, you know, we're all family, but ultimately, yeah. you know, uh, it doesn't really seem to, it doesn't really seem to matter that you feel like you're part of the family if they don't feel like you're part of the family, right? Yeah. They, they want you to have loyalty to the company, but the company's not going to have loyalty back to you. And it basically doesn't exist anymore, right? Um, companies can say it's, um, you know, the previous company I was at was fantastic. I mean, that's the, the most I've felt like being part of a family before. I never, um, you know, they've never had to do layoffs or anything, but ultimately that, that could, you know, every company might face that at some point. And, yeah. you know, I, I just think it's a lot of lip service. Um, wh when you're coaching people, um, how do you, how do you kind of help them navigate that? Because surely you hear people say, oh, I really love this company. They're really good to me. It feels like a family, but ultimately one day you could come in and they don't care that you, that you gave everything to them because you're just a number, right? I, I I'll, I'll let you answer that. And then I've got a yeah. question. I think the family, uh, frame for looking at a company is kind of unfortunate to be honest. I think what's a better way to look at it is as a team, more like a sports team where um, if you don't perform, you, you know, you're, you're on the bench or, yeah. or you're not, you're not getting um, uh, called back. Your contract's not getting extended, but if you do perform really well, you get tons of accolades. You, you, you're the star member of the team and all of yeah. that. So I think a, a team is a much better frame to consider a company than a family, first of all. So that would be one of the first things I would say to people. Uh, other, other, I know that in, in my experience through having been made redundant a couple of times, I had a manager who was let go at the same time as me who had worked at that company for, I think, seven or eight years and took it very, very personally. And at the time, I didn't quite understand just why he took it so personally. So for me, yeah. it was, it, I guess I have a contractor's mindset to some extent. Um, I didn't, I didn't see i mean obviously you're losing your income and you're losing your daily habit and you're losing your um colleagues who you're friends with at that stage i suppose but it's still transactional right isn't it um the world of work yeah yeah to totally yeah you're you're just a number on a spreadsheet ultimately um mm. you can think about you know as much as you want to feel like you're part of a family ultimately you're just a line item um but i think it goes back I, I personally, I feel like when a company has to do layoffs, especially a public company, that's a sign of really, really poor leadership. Mm. Um, 
So it could be communication, but ultimately like if you have to lay somebody off, then you probably didn't need that person in the first place. So why are they there, right? How is the communication in the company happening that so many people are taken by surprise, right? To me, it's a, it's a major, major leadership issue, but the leaders are never accountable for it, right? They Sometimes they get yeah. huge raises just for doing yeah. layoffs, right? Which is so ridiculous. Well, they save the um, company money, right? It's uh, their goal. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but you know, it's uh, how do you how do you feel about that? Do you think it's a management, um, uh, you know, a, a management issue where you know they they I don't know I'm not I'm not quite sure how to say it. Yeah, I, it is a management issue. I think to be too I don't want to sound like I'm coming off on the side of management all the time, but I think in some certain respects uh, it's difficult to have a crystal ball and see the future. Companies are optimistic. They want to grow. They want to have the the people in place to help them grow. They may not necessarily have a great um, read of what's happening macroeconomically, such that 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 the, the the goal or the vision for growth that they thought was there is not, or the bottom has fallen out of that. Mm-hmm. So I don't think there's maliciousness in it. I don't think there's necessarily. Um, uh, poor management in the in the first instance when they do go and hire too many people but ultimately that is probably the problem too aggressively mm-hmm. hire, hiring too many people for for yeah. um for for ultimately the growth that you don't realize mm-hmm. but then yeah. if you saw another company that was growing and and they were hiring all the time very rarely do people turn around and criticize them and say hey hold on slow down you might yeah, have to true. let people grow if things turn the corner yeah do, do you think, um, I, I read an article on LinkedIn the other day, um, I don't remember who posted it, I think Eva, Eva sent it to me. It was a, um, it, it was, I think it was in response to the Salesforce layoffs. And the idea was, uh, you know, if, if you have to lay off 10% of your Salesforce, it should also be 10% of the management Salesforce, it should be 10% of the executive Salesforce, it should be 10%, you know, pay cuts for the executives. But that never happens. Mm. Um, what, what do you think of that? No, I yeah, I think I would agree with that comment about it. It should be pretty equitable. A 10% of a management salary could be someone's entire salary down the line, right? Yeah. You're it, letting exactly. one person go, whereas you could just give someone else a, a minor haircut. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So th- that that's kind of led you into, you know, you're, you're your own boss now. So if, if you don't like your own boss, then, you know, you're, you're kind of in trouble. Um, some days I do. Some days I don't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but if you get laid off by your own boss, then you only have one person to talk to. Yeah. Um, so what made you want to go kind of the entrepreneur route? I have always dabbled in entrepreneurship. I, I don't talk about it too much, and maybe I should a little more, but I have, I think I've started three little companies in my time, mostly marketplaces. So I had one a long time mm-hmm. ago with a friend where we, we loved, I love tennis and he, he did as well. He does as well. And we created one of those kind of like a dating app matching local tennis yeah. players in your area. Didn't have a clue what we were doing. Paid guys in India to build this thing. Lots of money. Uh, did no research. <laughs> did no uh, testing whatsoever. Just wanted an app. And uh, of course it failed. But uh, loved loved the experience and learned a lot from it. Uh, my wife and I, during up until COVID, had a photography marketplace, actually. She's mm. actually a marketplace designer by trade, so she's very knowledgeable. And um, it was doing really, really well up through 2019 and um, for the first part of 2020. Uh, but then when COVID struck, uh, it died, unfortunately. 
um, and we closed it down. Um, and I've done other little bits and pieces here and there. So I've always kind of wanted to do more than build someone else's project, if you know what mm. I mean, like working for yeah. a company. Uh, and that's not to take that away from anyone who does. But for me, I, I find it sometimes a little unsatisfying that I'm spending so much energy on building something that isn't actually mine uh, in mm. the end. And um, that's probably the crux of it. It's not so much the autonomy around my own time and, and working for by myself um, so much, but just rather that I own the thing that I build being the right. most important thing for me. Yeah. And why did you move into career coaching instead of staying in uh, data analytics? Well, actually, initially, I didn't. When I left my job, I, I kind of left it open. I wasn't sure what I would end up doing. I didn't even really know that coaching was necessarily a thing other than yeah. how I would coach the people that I managed. Right. Uh, so I initially did some consulting as a data, um, a data uh, like literacy consulting and um and uh, going into companies and helping them with like their data programs. Uh, I did that for a while. I, I enjoyed that, but I kind of felt a little bit like I was just back working at a job again, uh, a little bit. And um, you're just all not an employee. While, <laughs> sorry? You're just not an employee. Yeah, yeah, just, yeah. But, but that kind of same kind of work sort of thing. Um, jumping on calls and being in the meetings with yeah. like 10 other people, that kind of thing. But uh, all the while, um, people have reached out to me for conversations, asking me advice and, and um, checking in. And I, yeah, just slowly, slowly realized that um, I can be a mentor for people, that uh, my experiences that I share quite often on LinkedIn uh, resonate with a lot of people. And <clears throat> they are going through things that I've been through or seen other people go through. Um, and I wanted to help them. I think at the end of the day, I like, mm -hmm. I like people. I'm a people person, which isn't often something you necessarily hear from data people. Um, but helping people who come up in their careers and, and overcome the things that I've either struggled to overcome or have overcome myself is really satisfying. Yeah. And I think it was a conversation I had with you, Andy. I wasn't even calling myself a coach until you said, you're coaching people. Just call yourself that. And <laughs> yeah, I remember you, you weren't sure you weren't sure what to call yourself, right? I was yeah, like, well, just call yourself a coach. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, given you started two companies before, you probably learned tons and tons of lessons from those, right? Uh, how do you apply those to uh, your your role now in coaching? Uh, that's a really good question because they are vastly different. One thing that I will say is that particularly the first marketplace I launched, it was a matter of, I know best, this is what we need. This is how it should look. This is how it should feel. This is what people want. I'm just going to go and build it. Now this right. time around, um, what's missing, sorry, from that process is user research, basically going and finding out would people actually do, well, first of all, do they actually have this problem? Could they, do they want to invest to solve it? Would they use something that might solve it? So those are questions you need to ask yourself. And in, uh, I guess, coaching and other kinds of solopreneurship, people will want to jump in and build products, build mm -hmm. service, build like um, courses, for example, or um, uh, or eBooks and everything else like that. And they might do that first. Whereas for me, like if I ever do those things, I'll do them last. Because right mm -hmm. now I'm doing tons of user research, right? I'm speaking with um, 
data people all over the place and getting a sense from them what the problems that they're facing are and what the challenges that they have in their their daily lives are um what kind of solutions they'd be interested in in engaging with to to fix those problems so in a sense um I'm applying that kind of user research, user first approach with coaching, except that people kind of pay me to do the research, right? <laughs> what are some of the most common themes you hear then when, when you're coaching people? So I'm I'm primarily coaching people who are either in data leadership roles or very keen to like migrate into data leadership okay. roles. Yep. For, um, I'd say that the coaching kind of falls into two different camps. In one side, there's like the personal, like what they what they want out of their career, what their vision right. for themselves is, where they want to get to in the next five years, etc. And the other side of things are tr troubles, tactical, strategic problems that they're having at work, in regards to how well data is appreciated around the business, whether or not they fall into the IT division and uh, see data as a business function, but unfortunately have got hearts and minds to change to make that the case. So if we just focus on that one, for example, people uh, are wanting to become more influential leaders inside the organization. Mm -hmm. They want other stakeholders in the organization to get data and to use it. They want to have a, a, um, a place in, this, in the strategy conversation because they realize that the data is, is crucial to that. And right now they don't. So what we do is we talk about, well, um, what things could you try or what conversations could you have or who could you team up with to help migrate towards a more data-centric culture? Mm -hmm. Any huge wins you can share? Uh, well, they're all kind of personal individual wins um, for, for the people that I work with. But um, yeah, so this, there's a few people who... Uh, having worked with them and helped them realize the problems that they have on the day-to-day -day and, and, and going about those tactical things that I kind of just covered. And they've suddenly realized, you know, I can't really move the needle at this organization. What I, what I would be happier doing is actually um, going to a different company yeah, and then making that decision. So I think for a lot of people, they can butt their head against the wall for years and years and years. But then as soon as they have a powerful conversation with someone, they actually realize something about themselves. Mm -hmm. And that's it. They don't want this at all. They want something completely different. Yeah. I've had a few of those. <laughs> in, in your newsletter, you discuss uh, strategies for effective data leadership. That's yep. pretty much it's a great newsletter. Um, well, first off, where can people find it? And what are, what are kind of the common themes that you write about? So you can find it via the link on my LinkedIn page. This little green okay. blue, sorry, hyperlink. You can take you to it. Um, the common themes I would say are how to become a more influential individual as a data as a data leader inside a company that perhaps isn't data centric yet. Uh, which I think, if you look at some of the statistics, something like eighty five percent of organizations uh, are like fit under this localized analytics definition, which is they have some dashboards, they have some Excel, they have some um, very minimal data capabilities, but where they really need to get to is to this, is much further along. And it's a really large proportion of companies that are actually completely immature in terms of data. So I think that I'm probably speaking to most organizations when I say these are the sorts of challenges that you need to overcome to, to get there. Mm -hmm. um, 
I talk about, um, what's a good example? Uh, data, for example, is continually seen in a lot of organizations as a service desk um, kind yeah. of function where people wait around for uh, requests for data, requests for reports, requests for dashboards to come in. Uh, and I think that this is an unfortunate dynamic for a lot of, it's very frustrating for a lot of data people to be seen like that because they know that data is actually far more powerful it can, if it can be um, used in a much more effective way. So the I guess the crux of what people need to be doing is demonstrating value with data in a much more powerful way than they currently do. I think that if you sit and wait around for questions to be asked of you as a data team or as a data leader, you're you're just ticking boxes and you're just making certain individuals happy for a few moments until they need something again. What <laughs> we really need to be doing is um, kind of maybe saying no to a lot of that and and spending our time on actually trying to understand what challenges the business itself is facing or each of the domains mm -hmm. are facing and solving for those problems without waiting to be asked to help on specific things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Great. Well, uh, what um, any any final bits of advice? Maybe um, what? How could people get in touch with you to work with you as well? Yeah, the best way is just via LinkedIn. I'm 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 pretty much on there every day. If uh, I, I love talking to people, I'm hopefully very approachable. So just hit me up, <laughs> uh, drop me a DM, or send me an email from my website, which you can find the link on my LinkedIn profile. Okay, yeah, and I'll I'll include that in the show notes as well. So thank Trist, you. thank you very much. I enjoyed our conversation, and good luck in the solopreneurship. And uh, we'll I'll I'm sure I'll talk to you soon. Yeah, sounds great, Andy. Thank you so much. Enjoyed it. You're welcome.